Hi guys, before we get started today, wanted to remind you that the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny is fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. Also, the Peabody and Emmy award-winning series 30 for 30 presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary event about the city, the swagger, and the wild ride of the 1986 Mets. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams at their legendary World Series comeback. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app right now. On top of that, Organized Chaos is ESPN's newest podcast hosted by former NFL coach Rex Ryan and his former Jets and Ravens linebacker Bart Scott. It's a weekly podcast, new episodes every Monday. Listen wherever you get your pods. Welcome back to the Media Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks Derek Carr deserves to be barked at, like all moving vehicles. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes, and I am joined ahead of week three by Justice Mosqueda. I think this is your second appearance on the show, Justice, if that's right. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, wow. I've been on here once before. Um, I'm glad you had me after a win. I know you texted Charles McDonald that uh, you wanted the Packers to lose just so you could get angry me on, but sorry oh, to disappoint. Would have been an all-timer. Um, if it's not obvious from what he just said, Justice is a Packers fan. He's a community producer at Acme Packing Co., which is uh, SB Nation's Packers blog. It's an excellent resource for all things Packers. You can also catch him on the SB Nation NFL show, the Acme Packing Co. podcast, uh, and my show, where we are going to talk about the Packers, but um, not at first. So, I switching things up, you know, I'm a wild card. I, I was doing game previews, but then I, I kind of just after last week, I felt like uh, I'm boxing myself in because when you do game previews, you end up talking about the same teams too much. I don't want to neglect certain teams and storylines just because they're playing in crappy games that I don't want to talk about. Um, so I, new thing, I'm just going to choose what I think are the most interesting stories, matchups and games. We are going to talk about a couple games. Uh, in the week ahead, weekend ahead, and I sent you a bunch of questions, Justice, one of which involves the Packers, but one of which I, I didn't think was going to be as interesting as it is. I, I, the question I sent was, should we be worried about the rookie quarterbacks? Just kind of like an overarching, eh, these guys are all kind of having a, you know, not the easiest time. Some of them aren't really playing. And then today, it's Wednesday, the news broke that um, – Justin Fields will, in fact, be starting against the Browns for Chicago. And that not only made this topic more exciting, but it incentivized me to go back and rewatch all of Justin Fields snaps uh, from the Bengals game. And I figured that's a good place for us to start because it is the newsiest. It is the most interesting. So I guess I'll ask you, you know, under the framework, do are you worried about Justin Fields? As a Packers fan, yeah. I mean, long term, I, I think he could be a franchise quarterback. Um, you know, I think it's important that, like, context going into this game, I mean, he didn't start, right? So he wasn't getting practice snaps that week. Um, I think it was funny that, you know, that A-Rob drop would have swung his passer rating like thousand percent or something. Thousand percent, yeah. <laughs> Which is just an absurd thing. So I, I'm more uh, leaning on, like, what I thought of Justin Fields through the preseason and through – uh, his college career at this point than really making his career out to be what he did last game. 
yeah. um, until he finally actually gets, you know, practice reps going into the game. Because, I mean, I'm I'm certain he was executing plays in that game off the bench that he wasn't even practicing this past week. So hmm. that that just makes such a huge difference. That's a good point. Yeah, the, he actually has time to prepare for this one. And, you know, upon rewatching, um, I actually feel less worried than I did the on Sunday when I was catching it. Uh, from the broadcast angle, just because, well, for a few reasons, one of which is this might, I, I, I'm like a little bit scared to put this out into the universe, but after rewatching, um, I don't think the Bears offensive line is as bad as everyone feared. Like I, it was being presented as this all time train wreck. You're going to turn him into David Carr. He's going to die. And it, they're not great, but like the left side is mostly fine. Um, the right side, Fetty got beat a, a couple times, but I don't think it's that bad. So that's one reason why I'm not worried. The other reason is I, you're, you're hundred percent right to point out, like if Robinson catches that ball as he should have, cause it was perfect. Uh, I think there's like a different narrative coming out of this. He just missed Darnell Mooney also on a deep crosser. It would like just off his fingertips. Um, and, you know, I, it was, by the way, the Robinson drop, somebody, I don't know who tweeted it, tweeted like maybe on Robinson is just so unaccustomed to a deep, like an accurate deep ball. He like doesn't even know what to do when it falls into his lap. So um, I just, you know, I really want this for Alan Robinson, but yeah, he looked comfortable. He looked like he had a better job with blitz recognition than he did in the preseason. Um, and then the other thing that's so striking upon watching him is he's just so damn strong. Like there were at least three times in this game where he should have been tackled. One of which was a zone read where I think it was, um, I can't remember who won the Bengals, Trey Hendrickson, maybe. And it was a defensive end read it correctly. And it didn't matter because he's so big and so strong. So I know like Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney, scary, all of that. But I kind of just think he's, I think it's going to be all right. Yeah. He definitely has that like uh speed plus thickness thing that like Russell Wilson has going on, you know, um, he's hard to get onto the ground. And I think you're right about the offensive line. I, I know a lot of people uh, blew it up between, you know, the Leno yeah. uh, release post draft and then Jenkins's back issue that popped up over the summer, but they're, their offense I don't think is that big of a problem I think it was more you know Andy Dalton can't keep up when uh, Matthew Stafford's throwing deep balls to Van Jefferson off a play action you know in week one Um, just in general I I think that he's going to be a solid quarterback and I think the Nagy stuff is more like I mean even today he said you know Andy Dalton's the starter once he's healthy and it's like come on man you traded four draft picks for Justin Fields you traded two first round picks for Justin Fields and I wonder how much of that actually does come down to the fact that like Nagy was borderline uh, cuttable at the end of last season. He lucked into a quarterback this offseason. Um, if you look at any of the first coach fired props out there on books right now, he's top five and his contract basically either has to end this offseason because uh, NFL teams don't really do the whole lame duck head coach go into your last year thing yeah. or they're going to have to extend him. So I wonder how much this is like uh, we looked into a quarterback. How about we don't make judgments on uh, if I'm the right person to build the team around this quarterback. Right. I I think there's some of that going on. I find it very hard to, it's, it's very puzzling because like if Justin Fields plays well, he's obviously going to keep his job. If he struggles, Mm -hmm he should still keep his job because he's the quarterback of the future. So it's like you kind of put yourself in a weird position where 
with that sort of rhetoric, it's like, okay, well, if he struggles now, you have to go back to Dalton. You know, it, it's just very strange. And like, there's very, it just feels like a lot of misalign- misaligned incentives for everyone involved here. Um, but to just, I'm not that worried based on my rewatch. I'll say that maybe he goes out and lays a huge stinker, but long-term I'm not that worried. Um, I am a little worried about Zach Wilson because um, Justice, I didn't watch this game in real time. I just saw like people's tweets like, Oh my God, historic interceptions. But I kind of just assumed because it was just the Patriots. They were like very, you know, they were just doing nasty stuff and they were like crazy disguise and confusing him and then when I rewatched him I just like I almost like didn't understand what was happening I mean that aside from the Corey Davis one where it went through his hands like I could not understand his thought process yeah my buddy uh Derek Clausen was breaking him down and he joked that uh you know Zach Wilson threw every type of interception possible in that game which isn't a good sign um maybe it was I mean certainly you know Belichick did some interesting pressures but I mean this week you got Fangio It's not going to get better. (laughs) Mm. Um, This Jets team, I think in general, offensively, the structure is there for him to be kind of like that, that, uh, you know, stretch boot action type of like Shanahan quarterback. And I do think that, you know, his skill set, you know, his ability to throw on the run, the flexibility of his arm angles and, you know, his arm strength in general um, does like have some upside in that type of offense. And we probably shouldn't make you know, sweeping judgments about rookie quarterbacks. I think we've seen how that kind of turns out in the NFL in like the post like 2011 CBA era, but it's not looking good right now. And it's okay to admit that it's not looking good right now. And I think the Jets kind of, they got to make games muddy. They have to make games muddy Mm. so that they can keep doing that stretch boot action stuff. Because if you fall down multiple scores and it's just straight drop back, Zach Wilson, it doesn't work. I mean, he had the benefit of playing behind a great, BYU offensive line that basically didn't let anyone touch him um, his last year at college. So straight drop back game isn't necessarily how I would want to use Zach Wilson, at least at this point in his career. Like you got to make some of these games real ugly to uh, keep him into the game. And it's not like the Jets. It's not like we had high expectations for the Jets in general coming into the season anyway. No, it's funny because in some ways, like they've surpassed him. Like on the other side of the ball, we talk about Mac Jones. I was like, wait, this Jets defense is not, I thought they would be a train wreck and they're, they're not that bad. I actually think Robert Sala has done a pretty good job with the personnel available to him um, on defense. So it's kind of like, I, I feel like some of my expectations have been sort of subverted. Um, But you're right. Like, I think given the transition from, for Wilson from college to the NFL, um, we could, we should have expected like a more of an adjustment period. You know, it's not like a damning indictment of his future because obviously he does have all this incredible talent that you alluded to, but like the, it's just such a different landscape for him um, given the protection he had and the sort of defenses he was facing. Um, yeah. And it's not like I was blown away by Mac Jones in this game. So flipping the field. No. I, I don't want to say like, um, panicking or anything and but i think with with jones the question is like how much of it is mac jones versus how much of it is the offense and that that is what people are asking like how much of it is like josh you know mcgann's not trusting him at all and watching it i think it's it was actually more of mac jones in this game like so he averaged uh 4.3 air yards per completion 
Um, and I will say in his defense, he was actually under more pressure than I expected. I don't remember the name of the right tackle who was starting in the place of Trent Brown, but he's not good. Um, and it's not like his receivers were like wide open, getting a ton of separation. And I do think that matters, but he also was checking down and, and basically saying no to opportunities throughout the game. Uh, he had, I want to say Aguilar at least once or twice, so I don't know if it's like him just knowing his own arm talent or not trusting it or being fearful of turning the ball over, but it's a little disappointing because I actually thought he looked a lot better in week one. Yeah. Miami secondary wise is a tough team to match up with too. Um, I, I kind of think that that's just kind of how new England is going to play this season in general. Um, you know, their offensive line, great run blockers across the board. Um, I think they're just going to try to run the ball quick game. It's not like they really have speedsters on the offensive side of the ball either. And then just confuse teams on defense. And I think that's how they're going to end up being on that. Like, uh, I guess playoff bubble, like wild card bubble. Mac Jones really wasn't asked to do anything difficult, uh, this past Sunday. And I don't know if that's necessarily a bad plan. I mean, we're talking about Mac Jones. People were making jokes about Mac Jones going number three and how absurd it was, you know, in the draft process. He obviously, showed a little bit more in the preseason and week one than we expected. But I think kind of coming in um, our evaluation of like Mac Jones was like, he's going to be like Kirk Cousiny, and, mm. you know, just asking him to make the layups is probably enough for, for new England right now. I feel like Trevor Lawrence is getting the exact opposite experience. <laughs> is that fair? Like yeah. where oh, he's, yeah. he's like, they're like, just do, do it. it Maybe some of that is him also forcing it. I think. Um, but when I watch him, it's not that I'm like, you're untalented or there's, I don't see any arm strength issues or fearlessness. If anything, I'm like this court, this quarterback needs to be put in a more quarterback friendly offense right now. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're headed for with the Trevor Lawrence thing is probably a less productive version of like what Andrew Luck gave us in year one, where, you know, another rookie quarterback steps up, has all the stats, you know, RG three was that for, for Andrew Luck, but anyone watching the film is like, look, he doesn't have the pieces around him yet, but this isn't a buy low scenario for, for by any means. You know what I mean? Like no, no one thinks Trevor Lawrence is a bust two weeks into the, into his career. Um, He's throwing it deep. I mean, he's, yeah, like you said, he's the opposite of Mac Jones right now. He's going through full progressions, even when his teammates aren't coming up for the ball. Obviously. I mean, it's never great when you only complete like a 30 year completions and you throw two picks, but there's very few things that you can point to and say, yeah, Trevor Lawrence kind of left that on the field and he at least at bare minimum wasn't trying to make a play there. Yeah, I, I think for me, it really just starts with scheme with him, like similar to the Bears where I'm not looking at the offensive line and, and thinking it's disastrous or any of the skill players. Actually, it's they're one where it's kind of like maybe they should be running the ball more. It just feels like it needs to be a little bit more college and a little bit Everything needs to like he needs just more shorter schemed up passes. They need to cut the field in half more often for him. I don't. It, it feels like a little bit he he's been like thrown into the rough waters or something. And um, and maybe some of that is on him. Like you you do feel him going for the big plays, hunting for some of those deep passes when he really shouldn't. He when he sometimes he doesn't have underneath options. So maybe there's a bit of a mentality thing. Um, the last quarterback that 
I'm asking if we should be worried about is, is one who didn't play last week and that's Trey Lance. And I actually think this is a really good segue to our next conversation because the Niners are playing the Packers and I, if it was me, I would, if not start Lance, I would use a hell of a lot of him um, because one, the case for Garoppolo was like, okay, we're going to get, he gives us competent starter play as Jimmy learns how to play quarterback in the NFL or pardon me, Trey does, but he's not been good <laughs> last week. He, aside from like that one drive, he didn't really do anything. Actually he had the uh, lowest average pass uh, air yards wise of any quarterback in the NFL who started. Um, and meanwhile, then you're going up against a Packers defense. There's a incredible stat. I mean, there's a ton of stats with the Packers defense that are damning, but one that I think is very relevant in terms of this, this decision and Trey Lance is the Packers are allowing 9.2 yards per carry on rushes outside the tackle right now. Can you imagine a lot of people what are saying that's bad, Mina? <laughs> Can you imagine what happens if you throw Trey Lance into that? Oh, I, I lost a playoff game to Kaepernick running for like 200 yards. I don't need to see that game again. Oh, no. Don't put that into the universe. I will cool. say <laughs> one of the stats, too, is zero tackles for loss. But ESPN run stop rate Packers top five. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get bleep, it, Mina. Bleep that out. We don't need to talk about that right now. It's, it's still still a lot of noise. Um, I mean, as a Packers fan, you would be would you not be thrilled to see Garoppolo in this game? I want I want Garoppolo and like the scrub running backs that they got. Yeah, I mean, I worked I worked for the XFL. I've seen Jacquez Patrick uh, firsthand. I thought he deserves another shot in the league. He's a good inside runner, but that's kind of not what San Francisco does. I mean, they try to get on the edge and they gash you that way. Nine point um, two so, yards per carry. How is that bad. even possible? How is that even possible? Zadarius is out. He's on IR. The Packers, I mean, in general, are playing too high. So when when their, their safeties aren't dropping into the box, helping on the edge, I mean, they're playing the alleys. And then Rashawn Gary, I mean, for as good of a bull rusher as he is, he definitely struggles to keep contained. All right, that brings me to my next question, which is about, you know, the, will the Packers defense be their undoing? And, okay, so I so I mentioned the, the run stat. I mean, the Packers... 26th in pass DVOA, 25th in run DVOA, 32nd in opposing QBR, 28th in third down conversion rate, 28th in red zone efficiency in case you thought they were Ben Don't Break. Um, the pressure numbers are not great, even though they're blitzing at the eighth highest rate in the NFL. Let's – okay, so <laughs> where is the worst part of this? Of the Packers? It's it's the the defensive line. It's the interior. Um, They want to play a lot of, they want to play a lot of base. Basically what they're going to do is they're going to match how many wide receivers you have on the field with how many corners. And that seems very simple, but is the opposite of what Mike Pettin did when he was trying to play a bunch of dime defense with, you know, Adrian Amos playing into the box, you know, three safety looks like that. They really do have three, you know, 300 pounders that they put on the line. If you give them the opportunity to, the problem is, the other two opposite of Kenny Clark, it's like Tyler Lancaster, Dean Lowry, you know, uh, Kingsley Kiki and uh, TJ Slayton, the the rookie who is, you know, mm-hmm. basically a guard prospect coming out of high school and 
didn't play until his last year at, at Florida. He's kind of more of a project than anything. And those guys are just getting knocked off, off the ball. I mean, you saw it against the Saints. The Saints had two 15-play scoring drives for the uh, back-to-back. It was the first time that had ever happened since uh, 2000. And then against Detroit, I mean, they make it sloppy. And if you make it sloppy, they they could hang until halftime. And then, you know, Aaron Rodgers takes over after they got one possession back early in the in the third quarter. And then it just turns into a shootout and Detroit couldn't keep up. But you can run on this defensive line. Um, it's not it's not good. I, I'm, I'm like Googling free agents every day. I'm like, what's Quan <laughs> Short doing? How healthy is Geno Atkins? Things of that nature. It's, it's bad. Um. I mean, not only can you run on them, though, like the gaff was like slicing through them like butter in the first half. Oh. I mean, and, and by the way, I, 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 I was so confused because I was trying to pull up all the terrible pressure numbers for our Tuesday show. And I was like, wait, don't you No, none of them sacked Jared Goff because I was like, they've had no sacks for two games. And then I was like, oh, right. Jared Goff sacked Jared Goff. And it wasn't it was the air. He just like patted the football and fell out. Like Jared Goff was the Packers best defensive player by far um, uh, on Monday night. And yeah, just like uh, the total absence of pressure is kind of befuddling because I understand Zedaria Smith is out, but um, Rashawn Gary, he did get a lot in the second half. The entire group obviously got a lot better. Apparently after Matt LaFleur told Joe Perry to blitz or something, he said something like that, which is kind of perplexing to me. Um, but, you know, there, there were supposed to be like a reasonable amount of depth in terms of the pass rush. And I get, I don't know. I'm just kind of befuddled by how bad it's been. And then in coverage, outside of Jair Alexander, I mean, they seem to have made the, the move to Eric Stokes over Kevin King. But, but you need more than two cornerbacks. So I do question whether even if – Stokes, who's the rookie second round, right? This year. Um, no, first, no, the first, first right, right, right. It was the FU to Aaron Rodgers. Another, by the way, great, apparently a great draft pick by Brian Gukins. Um, just crushing Aaron with his good draft picks. But yeah, so it seems like they're, they're, they're going to play him on the outside and probably start him soon, I would guess. But again, behind Alexander and Stokes, is there enough depth if they don't get pressure? frankly no i mean this is a pressure league and you know teams aren't really playing that much man coverage in general i mean it's really spot drop zone rally to the ball your pressure has to get there Uh, i think preston smith's done a better job um over the past two weeks than he did last year i like what devondre campbell's brought to the table um the packers haven't had very good inside linebackers but he's probably the best one that we've seen in a while uh really it's just zadarius going down Kenny Clark, for whatever reason, doesn't pressure the pocket until like November. That's kind of like been how his career has worked out. And then Rashawn Gary, I mean, he can get into the backfield. He's got one move and it's a bull rush and he's yeah. just going straight through your face. But the problem is if you're going straight through a guy's face, you can't keep contained. So yes. if you, you can run right around him, I mean, Jameis Winston did it a couple of times. Yes. Um, Goff got it done. It's just <laughs> tough. I mean, with, with their front four, I mean, if you're going to play coverage and you're only going to rush four. Jared Goff was just back there patting the ball until the heavy rain came in and acted as an extra defender, you know? But the lack of contain is really what was remarkable because the Packers have allowed, I don't know why, I feel like I'm being really mean to you with this, but the Packers have allowed uh, opposing quarterbacks to hold the ball 
3.05 seconds, which is the longest, second longest, pardon me, behind the Jaguars of any team. But it's remarkable. They did it in a two-minute drill. Two-minute drill. He's just back there patting the ball. But it's remarkable because it's like you see that kind of number, like over over three seconds, and you think, wow, they must have played Kyler Murray or or Lamar Jackson, you know, or those quarterbacks always skew those numbers. Jameis Winston and Jared Goff looked both looked extraordinarily comfortable scooting around, uh, not particularly mobile quarterbacks. So imagine if, again, I, I repeat, if they decide to play Trey Lance, like if the Niners do, I like Kyle Shanahan, if you're listening, why would you not in this game? This is how bad the bass rush is. There was a play in week one. Jameis Winston held the ball for like 10 seconds and he threw it out of bounds. That's bad. <laughs> when 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 Jameis is holding onto the ball and he's not thinking, I'm going deep. Nah, I'll just throw it away. They'll give me another shot. That's never a great sign for your defense. When is Darius Smith coming back? And does that he's on IR right now? Yeah, but like, he's how on bad IR, is he? So he's how bad eligible is he to come back in like three weeks. Three weeks. He played week one. He played week one. They haven't made him available for for the media at all this whole summer. He practiced once, I believe, in August before week one of the season. Started practicing week one a little bit, and then said, "You know, I'm I'm ready to play in. The, I'm ready to play in the game." And they very clearly weren't happy with where he was at and mm. turned him off. I guess. The good news is you have the Steelers' offense next week, uh, and then the Bengals, and then the Bears. But. Um, I guess, I, you know, do you, are you – so I kind of mentioned it as an aside, but Stokes has looked really good in early play. So that also has to be promising just to at least minimize Kevin King's role in the, in the defense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Um, they definitely shifted, like, in-game to playing mm-hmm. Stokes outside more, and then they were playing matchups for the most part. I mean, Jair was getting more slot reps than he has in a while. Um, usually he's just kind of locked down. As the left cornerback, Kevin King is the right cornerback. They actually started mixing it up, which was kind of nice. You you can get King in the slot. I don't know how comfortable I am with uh, Kevin King in a two way go. You know, um, that's not great because he's he's really a long corner with speed that you really want using the sideline as an extra defender. I almost think their best their best way to use the corners is probably Stokes and Alexander starting in base and then. Uh, kicking Jair Alexander inside to the slot and bringing King off the bench to play outside and and like nickel because I mean, Stokes and King are kind of like, I think Stokes is a better version of King basically, but they're both long corners who can run. You want them using the sideline as an extra defender. Jair is really the guy that you want to play those two way goes where it's like, yeah, just lock a guy up. So, so you maybe use him more like the, how the Rams use Jalen Ramsey optimally. Exactly. Yeah. I'm Hey, we 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 dealt with so much uh, Joe Barry Rams brain defense. Let let's show it a little bit. I told you. I feel like before the season, not to get your hopes up. All right. Um, next question. Let's move off the Packers. Are the Raiders legit? I think their offenses. Um, defensively, I always worry about you know Gus out there just rushing a four, and you're getting a ton of production out of Yannick and Max Crosby, which. Good for them. Uh, that that's no slight to them. I just don't know if that's a two week anomaly or a season long thing. Um, if right. if you would have come into the season with the take that you know Yannick and Max were going to be the best pass rushing duo in the league, I wouldn't have believed you. So I'm more in like wait and see mode that way. And then offensively, Derek Carr looks a lot more comfortable driving the ball deep. Um, that's really been kind of the issue in his career. He's always had that like top ten quarterback talent in terms of like 
arm strength, release, stuff like that, like just mm-hmm. pure traits. It's just you get glimpses of it, right? Like what was it, that 2016 year? And then like the Kansas City game last season, things like that. And then it just – he ends up going back to I'm Alex Smith with uh, better arm talent basically. So I'm very like touch and go with both the offense and defense. But they're a really interesting team to monitor at this point in the season. And I think they're finally figuring out, hey, if we just throw to our tight end enough where you double <laughs> our tight end or rotate the coverage to the tight end and then we have we have rugs running a 4-2 oh. as a counter, that, that's probably not the worst way to win ball games. Yeah, we uh, on I think Monday we were talking about the NFL Live, and I was like, yeah, it's like with the Chiefs with like Kelsey and Hill, you have to pick your poison and die. And then of course people were like, were well, you comparing them to the Chiefs? You're saying Henry Ruggs is Tyreek Hill? No, but the touchdown, the 61 yard touchdown, was like a perfect example of that, where you had Mika Fitzpatrick cheating up because of the presence of Darren Waller. And what was amazing about that play to me, Justice, was that he uh, Carr had Hunter Renfro for a first down underneath, and he. Had also um, the Steelers corner, I can't remember, Norwood was in his face. And he went YOLO anyways, which is extremely encouraging, I would say. I I think what's been so impressive to me about Carr so far is not just that he's been so aggressive attacking, A, and B, that not counting one quarter or the first half of the Ravens game, he is now spraying the ball around to a variety of targets, but that he's actually doing it without great offensive line play or a run game, you know, like if you, it, I, I think if you had told me, Oh, this Raiders offense looks really good before the season. I would assume, wow, the offensive line is playing really well. Derek Carr is protected. Josh Jacobs is in there. But like in the Steelers game, I was just so impressed by his play under pressure, um, his mobility in the pocket. Like those are not like, I, we've always known, Hey, when this guy actually chooses to sling it, he has like a really great arm and, um, his deep ball numbers are fantastic. They're just limited. And it's it's always been more about willingness. But I think what has impressed me is he, he's actually been like a playmaker so far through two weeks. Yeah, I think that's probably the big difference between him now and him. And I, I think it was 2016 when they had that loaded offensive yeah. line where it was basically yeah. just pro bowlers across the board. And they even then they were winning games close. Um, yeah, I, I, I really do like Carr. It's just... I've seen him have this game before and then revert back to like Alex Smith level play the very next week. So it's like, I need to see like at least a full month of this before I buy in again, you know? Well, I feel the same way as you about the other side of the ball in terms of like skepticism, Um, just because they play the Ravens. So so the the Raiders, I think part of the reason we're asking if they're legit is that they beat the Ravens and the Steelers who are two good, two great football teams. Um, And and yet, neither of those teams present difficult aerial attacks, shall we say. And I think Lamar Jackson, you know, they got a bad version of him through much of that game, uh, especially throwing the ball. Steelers, obviously, not much going on offensively. But watching Max Crosby and Ngakwe go nuts, both were able to exploit what I imagine will be on the easier end in terms of the offensive tackles they're going against. Um, They are playing Miami this week, so I don't think that's going to change necessarily. So like, like what you said, this is a pretty simple defense. It's Gus Bradley. They're not blitzing a lot. They're playing a lot of cover three. Um, So I think like it's the case for pessimism is that it has been the opponents. The fact that like talent wise, 
this isn't, you know, they're, they're not spectacular, but I also think it's undeniable. There has been an upgrade uh, in terms of the players, not just adding in on the inside. They've got, you know, Quentin Jefferson, Solomon Thomas, uh, and then KJ Wright, who has been sort of integrated more and more into that linebacker group, but that linebacker group really underplayed their ability. I feel like last year, Littleton and Kwiatkowski. And then uh, the secondary, like, I, I feel like when I previewed the AFC West with I think Nate Tice, I was looking at the depth chart and I was like, oh, Casey Hayward, he's an NFL player. Right. Like, and, and then watching them, I'm like, oh, yeah, Casey Hayward, like he's an actual football player. And it just makes such a difference having like competent cornerback play. Yeah, and I wonder how much it helps them just to kind of get some of those losses off the field, too. I mean, Cleveland Farrell was a healthy scratch. Um, yeah. And that was a guy that they were playing. He he didn't really produce much uh, in the NFL. I don't. He probably got overdrafted. A lot of people didn't have high expectations for him coming in. Um, and then you know, in the secondary, for so long they were drafting these strong safeties who just couldn't cover at all, and they were playing both of them. And the fact that you can get out of that um, in this cover three system probably is a positive. So there are certainly guys that you worry about. You know, if if you're riding the bus to uh to to the stadium in las vegas i mean you go in worrying about like three guys on the offensive side and a couple guys on the defensive side which isn't necessarily something you could always say about the raiders in the past couple years and you know even during the entire Derek Carr era, pretty gruden yeah how are you feeling about this i'm so so two is out uh, we know that Jacoby Brissett will be starting so i feel like the dolphins offense is going to look pretty dismal frankly maybe i'm wrong um and then on the other side, the other side of the ball is the more interesting side of the matchup. And I think it'll be an interesting test of kind of what, you're, what we've been talking about is, are we going to see the day, same Derek Carr against, you know, a, a very good Dolphins secondary? Yeah, I, I think the defense, even the questions that I have um, has the advantage over Miami. But yeah, I'll be playing, paying close attention even on Sunday to to Miami and and the Raiders when the Raiders have the ball, just because I think that's a really good stress test. I mean, those guys play a lot of man. Um, you're going to have to throw to your tight end. You're going to, you know, Dude. Waller, the guy that, you know, everyone's rotating to. So there's a matchup problem there. And then rugs deep. I mean, that's a matchup problem there. So Carr's going to definitely have to make some big boy plays unless uh, they just go straight run game on him. You really can't play man on Waller. He is, he oh. actually, he led all tight ends in yards against man last year. Um yeah, I mean, if and I think that's Gruden, Gruden's a good play caller too. I mean, he knows how to yeah. use these guys for for as much as like oh, Gruden fully. gets his own way in terms of player personnel. I mean, if he were an offensive coordinator, he'd everyone would be calling him right now. Totally, the use of um, the condensed splits, he's really able to get the matchups he wants and to get the personnel he wants into space. Um, the motion, uh, giving Derek Carr all the information he needs. He, he's very creative with his deployment of the skill players. Um, it's not, a, it's a difficult, this is, I would say if, and this is the caveat, if Derek Carr continues to play with the aggression he's played with, despite the fact this is like a little bit of a touchy offensive line, I don't know when Incognito is coming back, but this is definitely a top 10 offense by any metric. I, I, I feel like all season it's been that way and verging on top five, but again, that's totally contingent on Derek Carr being, the Derek Carr. I feel like we need like a Stefan like name for him, like Derek Carr or something, the aggressive Derek Carr. 
Derek Lamborghini. How about that? Um, all right. If we're going to see Derek Lamborghini, actually, that's a great. He's, he's kind of similar to the quarterback I want to talk about after the break uh, in the same division. So let's take a quick break and come back. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. So people probably guessed that we're about to talk about Teddy Bridgewater because Jesus, this division, man, the AFC West is wild now. Um, Cause Justin Herbert's awesome. Patrick Mahomes is awesome. And Teddy Bridgewater has been awesome through two weeks. So my question for you is, are you buying that Teddy Bridgewater is a very good quarterback? Uh, I think, I think he's fine as, as like a game manager. I understand his a dots higher than people assumed. I think part of that is, teams kind of want him to throw deep and the teams that they've played. I mean, the giants and the Jaguars. Giants are okay. Are we really going to overreact to the giants? Oh no. The, the giants and Jaguars are both awful. I mean, I think that they've made a ton of mistakes, you know, front office wise for a couple years. And those teams are just trying to kind of dig their way out of it. Really harshing my buzz. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Does, you asked. You Teddy, asked. Teddy, Teddy's, uh, mutual Ted enthusiast, uh, Greg Rosenthal tweeted that Teddy's attempted more 20 yard plus throws than any quarterback in the NFL, which is just a delight. Uh, what stands out to me. So, so I actually went back and rewatched this game this morning and as much as I wanted him to be perfect, I actually did. He did check it down a few times and the Jack Rice defense is really, really, really bad. But there were a few moments where you could see him. He, he does look not only more aggressive, and he doesn't really have the arm that Carr has. He's accurate and a good decision maker. But um, it's actually similar to Derek to me, Justice, in that one thing that really stands out in terms of the change is the mobility. Um which is, I, I guess, I, I, I'm try, I was trying to remember, like, what his mobility looked like before the injury, you know, w- with the Vikings. And I couldn't really remember, like, how he, obviously, he's not, like, a dual-threat quarterback, but, like, how he looked under pressure, kind of moving around in the pocket. And so far, through not only these two games of the preseason, I think his movement is, he looks much more fluid than he has in recent years. And he has more of a second reaction ability than I've associated with him in the past. Um, made a couple really nice throws, aggressive throws, 
particularly to Cortland Sutton. There was like one play, I can't remember what quarter it was in, but it was he had Sutton on the right sideline and he had Melvin Gordon in the flat for a first down and he looked at him and I went, no, and he probably could have gotten him. And then he just turned back around and he, he hit Sutton for a deep gain. And it made, I was, I felt like proud. I felt like maybe more proud than I feel of like anyone in my family when he made that throw. So I don't know if he's changed, but he's got the playmakers. Cortland Sutton looks awesome. Um, and I don't know. The team is so good. He doesn't have to be great. No, he doesn't. And as long as, you know, this Chubb injury doesn't derail them on defense, that defense, you could basically hang your hat on him. Patrick Sertan Jr. is as good as uh, we thought that he was going to be. He's as good as he was tabbed coming out of Alabama. Really, I guess the thing with Teddy is, yeah, can he make enough plays on the move where he can win you a couple ball games that way? And then can he get more comfortable down the stretch to where, like, there's just a couple deep passing concepts that he's just knows inside and out and you can use it when you need a big play. Um, he was, he, he was always kind of mobile. I mean, he, you saw it more at Louisville than you did with Minnesota because Minnesota was so uh, inside run heavy because Adrian Peterson was your running back. I mean, completely understandable that prime Adrian Peterson, you probably want to run inside, inside a lot. Um, and then at the goal line, you know, Adrian Peterson, when he was coming off of that injury and was uh, getting all those touchdowns, I mean, they basically just use Teddy as like a handoff machine near the goal line. And that's really one of the situations where you really see quarterback mobility because of the type of coverages that you're, the combo coverages that you're getting down there. So I think this does kind of open up his game a little bit more, this type of system fit. And, you know, it's a great spot to be in when you're behind a, at least solid offensive line, you have a great defense and you have some quality pass catchers. I mean, there's worse landing spots, right? I also think they have a good play caller. (laughs) I don't know why I'm like saying that so tentatively. I um, I, I think I tweeted some enthusiasm for the Tim Patrick touchdown. Did you see that one off of Mesh where they motioned him across? And then uh, I think they had uh, the Albert O. What was it? Yeah, yes. Albert O was the one who set the rub. From Missouri. That, Albert that O a, is a great Albert o. his name. Yeah, that was a really nice design. Um, I, I feel like. Pat Shermer, I think it was our mutual friend, Arif Hassan, was pointing out that he was actually, he got like that great freaky Case Keenum year, you know? And in terms of like deploying their skill players, particularly the tight ends, to get mismatches for Teddy, I think he's doing a really good job. Um, As a Melvin Gordon fantasy owner, it pains me to see that Javante Williams is obviously better than him right now. But yeah, I, I just... I don't know. I think the situation, it is similar in in a lot of ways to the Raiders where like they've got such good players that like as long as he maintains like a B plus level of play, this is an offense that's going to have a fighting chance every week. Do you, how many, one, I guess, do you think they can make the playoffs? And then two, how deep into the playoffs can they go? Because I I wouldn't expect them to leave the divisional round just because of the volatility Mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you might be able to win a playoff game because of that defense and Teddy, you know, getting a solid game out of Teddy, but I wouldn't expect him to be able to like go on like a Flacco run. You know what I mean? Like even if he is a, you know, BC average quarterback, it's going to be hard for him to string those games together to where they can win, you know, big time games like that, I think, in the playoffs. I think it's more about the defense. Like how does Chubb come back from injury? 
can they, because mm-hmm. we know that this is like a very talented defense at every level. I think jo- losing Josie Jewell, by the way, is a sneaky big one for them, um, linebacker. So I I think if this defense can create, like in terms of getting to the playoffs, because I think you and I both see this as like a wild card team, you know, um, right. if they make it to the playoffs and they're, let's say, up against the Chiefs or the Bills or whoever, if that defense is able to create a couple of turnovers, I think that they can get out. Um, but you know, that's a big if, obviously it's, it's difficult to be a defensive team and, and I don't think it's an elite defense. I think it's a very good defense, but it's not like the, uh, the Broncos team with Peyton, right? The no fly zone team. I don't think right. they're, they're not there yet. It's just crazy that Von Miller has been in the NFL that long. Well, speaking of defense, I'm going to ask you about, I feel like this is NFL Twitter's favorite unit league wide right now i just one day no one's talking about them the next day the internet is a buzz about the panthers defense and well and i say animal twitter it's not really a hipster thing because like they are actually leading in every category through two like literally every category uh through two weeks incredible small sample size are we being overly enthusiastic um i guess it like depends on exactly how hyped up you are about them i mean they played the jets and the saints who are banged up at wide receiver so the the only like great wide receiver that they saw really in the first two weeks was Corey davis but phil snow is doing a lot of interesting stuff he came in through the college ranks he's the defensive coordinator right now um it's very rex ryan in that like they're blitzing at you from all sorts of directions there was actually a point where the panthers called the same mug front blitz three times in a row um, I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen that at the NFL level. I believe in their front a lot more than I do in their secondary right now, just because they really haven't been tested. But yeah. I mean, they get the Texans this week, so I don't think we're going to get an answer right. there either. Um, Daquan Jones is playing a lot better than I would have assumed. And, you know, Brian Burns is he's that guy. Brian Burns yeah. is that guy. He's been that guy and he's finally getting the reps to prove it. Um Outside of that, I mean, Darnold. Was that the best Darnold game that we've ever gotten out of him? He, he looked actually half decent. There was one throw where it looked like he was trying to to be Patrick Mahomes throwing across his body mm. and almost got picked sixth. But outside of that, I mean, that was – I think that was Darnold's best game, and I was pretty uh, pessimistic about what Darnold could do there. Well, the Saints defense was more banged up than the Saints offense in this right. particular game. But, yeah, no, I mean, Darnold in terms of, like, um, you know, taking advantage of the – play action pass opportunities he had the quick game like he looked comfortable he looked good he was playing quickly I do I think that's what jumped out to me like it didn't look like he was slow and didn't do anything stupid um but the defense I what stands out to me so first of all we should give a shout out to Mina Kimes show contributor Steven Ruiz because we previewed the NFC South and he was really hyping up Phil Snow I feel like if we're gonna do like who was the first on Phil Snow I feel he 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 was very he is a Panthers fan so um, but he was impressed by him last year as well. And he said, you know, he just didn't really have the personnel. And I think what jumps out to me watching them is not just some of the schematic craziness, which we can talk about, or inventiveness in particular with the pressure packages. But like you are seeing contributions, not just from Brian Burns, who we know is awesome, or Jeremy Chin, but guys like Morgan Fox, which was, he was actually pretty decent with the Rams. And I had him kind of pegged as like, you know, oh, this might actually matter that he's gone. But um, watching the Saints game, he just popped off the screen to me. And again, some of it was like him benefiting from the confusion created elsewhere. 
Uh, Shaq Thompson, like, looks like he might have the best season of his career. I think the early performance of J.C. Horn is encouraging, but it, it feels like, and then I, I think I think Steven actually mentioned Bravion Roy being good, and I was like, who is that human? Uh, very good. He's been really good. And so I think it is like, it's an interesting, it's a combination of what they're doing up front and the players they have um, being like, they were kind of good last year and now they've kind of graduated to actually just being good. Yeah. And they always had a couple of guys who could run, right? I mean, like Dante Jackson, it's, it's real hard to beat him deep. And now if you get a guy like JC Horn, who's, I mean, they drafted him to play press man basically, yes. or, you know, press match, whatever it is. Um, and they're, they're just getting a lot, they're just getting, a lot out of the personnel that they have defensively right now. Like I said, Daquan Jones is on Twitter right now talking about him. He's hitting <laughs> offensive linemen with the Reggie White because okay. he got a hump move and just tossed a guy to the side. Like all, all these guys are playing above expectation at this point. Brian Burns looks like a superstar. Um, I, I think this defense is probably solid, but again, I just want to wait a little bit until we see a yeah. wide, until we see them play against a team with two actual NFL wide receivers. It's also no right. So with the Saints, that's a really it's a good point. So what I, I'm not even like it's not me diagnosing. Matt Rule came out and said um, it's stopping the run because then on second and seven you're not sitting here playing a run defense. We played a lot of the bare front uh, and played man to man. They played they're, they're playing more man than they did last year, um, but this is still primarily a zone team. Um, so some of that works because of the offensive lines they're facing, which is weird, right? Because you're like the saints offensive line is really good. I totally blanked until I watched this game that, uh, Eric McCoy wasn't playing and it was obvious. Um, Cesar Ruiz, yeah, they had Ruiz and Pete in, oh dude, my God, they had him confused. He had, a, <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. And it's weird. Cause wasn't he like a center in college? I, Ruiz, I feel like he was. Well, they drafted him to play guard because they had already – anyways, whatever. he, Whatever his background is, he was not ready. He was not – he was terrible in this game. And it's funny because, like, a lot of it was on Jameis, but a lot of it was also on the Saints' offensive line, just being completely and utterly confused by where the pressure was coming from. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they stick with the same approach week to week in terms of going heavy on the bare fronts versus teams that don't – play you know don't not don't have as much of a zone running game or teams with as you said better wide receivers who can get open more quickly because that has not been the case through two weeks yeah i think that that panthers cowboys game is really the one that i'm circling Mm. uh you know week four they have wide receivers they have two dallas has two running backs apparently with pollard playing as well as he is it'll be interesting to see how they handle that type of speed with this like disguise kind of blitz style defense so their best game of the weekend is not panthers texans which is thursday night it is undeniably bucks rams i am pumped for this and i want to this is i just want to preview straight up preview through it my question is who you got but i'm going to start with a take that i have after thinking about this which is that i think both of these offenses are a lot better than both of these defenses right now uh, a lot feels strong. I mean, I, a lot feels strong. Just better. They're both better. Yeah, they're 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 both better. I think Tampa's defense is a tier higher than the Rams right now. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, you know, 
switching your defensive coordinator who just took a head coaching job is definitely always going to come with uh, lowered expectations on the defensive side. But I'm not really seeing it with the with the Rams defense so far, you know, through two weeks. I mean, with the obvious caveat of that, Aaron Donald's still great, but one man doesn't make a team. So let's talk about that side of the ball first. Because um, the Rams, first of all, the Rams should have lost to the Colts. <laughs> I feel like uh, it's funny because the Vikings should have beaten the Cardinals. The Colts would have beaten the Rams if not for a, sh- a shovel pass being intercepted and a goal line stand. Um, but Carson Wentz was moving the ball on them pretty easily, I thought. And I I think like when you see this Rams defense now, it, something that stands out to me is like the areas that you want to exploit in terms of the run game, targeting corners who are not Jalen Ramsey, um, it, it seemed, and certainly running on like Leonard Floyd, who's not been great to me. Like, I think they just seem it's, you see like, oh, right. There were these weaknesses that maybe were covered up. I don't know if it was the presence of John Johnson, or as you said, just switching defensive coordinators. And now they seem more obvious to me. Yeah. And they're kind of like the, I guess like the, 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 after what happens with, Carolina's personnel right where Carolina they're getting a lot of their personnel right now that was kind of what the Rams were doing last year where you're like Sebastian Joseph Day borderline pro bowler what's going on here (laughs) he's still pretty good it seems like they're kind of yeah but they're 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 coming like everyone's just like yeah plays a tear down you know what I mean it's it's more something like that where you know Jalen Ramsey you come you go to the stadium you're worried about Jalen Ramsey you're worried about Aaron Donald and then after that it's kind of manageable. So I will say Antonio Brown is on the COVID list. I don't know what his status is, but that to me does make a, a fairly significant difference in this game because it's like, okay, well, if you think just pure numbers, if Jalen Ramsey takes out, I don't know, Mike Evans, then you still have Chris Godwin and uh, Antonio Brown and obviously the tight ends. But if you take Antonio Brown, it does get a little bit easier for the Rams defense and a little bit more like, and, and I still think, I mean, granted the Bucks offensive line is very good. I'll, I'll be very curious to see how much the Bucks choose to run the ball, because I think that to me stands out through two games as something that like good. I think the Rams defense is going to have a hard time with very good rushing teams. Yeah. And the way that you take advantage of that is not running zone, but running, you know, gap runs. And that's something that Tampa's always done um, well under under Brady. And, you know, Brady's done that well when he was in New England too. And his calling card, every, everyone talks about play action like it's the same thing. But, you know, the boot stuff is based off a of stretch and the Brady play action stuff, it's power pass. So you got to be able to run ISO. You got to be able to run power, you know, from like I formation. Um, so it kind of like leans into what Brady does best. Uh, I wonder how... You know, we talked about, you know, the Rams probably should have lost a game. I mean, Tampa's come close at the end, you know, uh, the first two weeks of the season, too. I mean, they could have they could have put down the Falcons real early Um, against Dallas. They had, I believe, four turnovers. um, Yeah. Kind of kept them in when when Dak wasn't super confident in his arm yet. I think his arm did get better throughout the game. And it looks like Dak is back based off of last week. Um, So they kind of had an opportunity to kind of put. Dallas down before Dak got confident and they took him to the wire both of those games when they didn't really need to so I wonder if uh I wonder if this is one of those like 
Tom Brady drops a game early September. They use it to mm. rally around and like fix out, <laughs> fix the rest of their team. Because well, yeah. we see this every year, and the Rams need a big win. They haven't had that big win yet, but they do look explosive. Who knows if Matt Stafford wants to win the MVP? I don't know. Well, the Bucks. I mean, the defense on the other side of the ball, Dak and Matt Ryan uh, together completed 73% of their passes against the Bucks defense. Uh, which is not is so great. weird. Yeah, well, but okay. So let's talk about let's talk about the Bucks defense a little bit. Um, obviously, like you cannot run on them, right? That that is, and, and offenses know that. Like clearly, Dallas went into that game with the intelligent plan of not running the football. Um, but the Falcons actually had a lot of really fun stuff with Cordero Patterson. But anyways, you can't run on them. Fine, but there are also it's 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 not the exact same as the Rams, but there are also like very obvious places that you can exploit in coverage. Uh, so they're very undermanned right now in the secondary. There's health issues with all of them. I mean, Sean Murphy Burton, Sean Murphy Bunting is still out. Carlton Davis, who's been awesome, I think is a little banged up, as is Jamel Dean. Don't know when Jordan Whitehead's coming back. So they've had to play uh, like Ross Cockrell, who really got his butt kicked by the Falcons. And then uh Devin White dude like they quarterbacks have been going after him a lot and I feel like Sean McVay right now is doing the Stephen Ruiz this is the second Stephen Ruiz mention anyways Stephen Ruiz um microscope on Devin White in coverage what'll be interesting to me if is if the Rams decide to spread Tampa out when they have heavy personnel in because the thing is Tampa will play you heavy. They'll play in their bare front and then they'll just kick their linebackers out. And yeah. you have to have a lot of trust in the athleticism of your linebackers. And it's kind of a two way sword, right? I mean, Devin White's really athletic, but then you're also trusting him to play in coverage in ways that like linebackers don't usually do, which you yeah. can eat them up. But that's kind of counterintuitive to kind of how that McVay offense runs. Um, so it'll be interesting. I mean, we'll probably know within the first quarter, you know, kind of how the game is going to play out in terms of when the Rams have the ball and Tampa's defending. But Tampa, it seemed like they were very comfortable doing that and then just saying, yeah, we don't we, we don't need these extra defenders in the box because uh, that Vita Vea guy, he's just going bully, right. to bully your center around. And that's not an awful plan. It's one of two games, but I do wonder if uh, that's something that you can do week to week and put up another Super Bowl run doing it. So pertinent to that, I think, question in terms of like what approach uh, McVay is going to take is Daryl Henderson is probably out in this game. If he's if that information changes between the one hour between we record this and this comes out, then I apologize. But um, so that means, you know, Sony Michelle will be their RB1, which, again, is fascinating because he hasn't really gotten a lot of run. And the thinking when they um, signed him after Cam Akers went down is that he would be used potentially on more of those cam makers style runs, which is more of the gap stuff that they were doing last year. And I would be curious to see if and how they use him, how much they run the ball in this game. Um, and as you said, whether they spread it out a little bit more because they do have an advantage, like their skill players are better than Tampa's players in coverage. Yeah. And the the other thing that I would hesitate doing in terms of like, if the, if the Rams spread them out, and your tight end is Tyler Higby, and your running back is Sony Michelle. I don't know how much you're getting out of routes out of them, you know. So that's kind of one thing that's working against them. They definitely have speed. I mean, 
Van Jefferson kind of had a breakout game week one. Uh, McVay's talked about how he hasn't gotten Deshaun Jackson enough snaps. If they can get some deep shots with those guys by spreading them out, I feel a lot more comfortable than, uh, you know, if, if they're in like 11 personnel all game and they're just spreading them out and then you're like, dang, why do we have Tyler Higby on, <laughs> on the field so much? Um, he's a blocking tight end. I mean, that's, that's what he is. He, that's yeah. how they structured their, that's yeah. how they structured their team. But if you're going to have to change it up against a team that just wants to just stay in heavy bear front, right. You, you might have to, because I mean, it's basically what, what Tampa does is basically like the, uh, the plan that new England had, you know, when they beat them in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I think it, it, we should probably mention here too, again, just in terms of this side of the ball, like, Matt Stafford's been really good. <laughs> I I think like you've already seen it, not everything you've wanted out of him so far. I feel like I made this exact point last week, but whatever. Like, not just the arm talent, but uh, the fact, like, you, you're already seeing him make plays when everything breaks down in a way that I don't know if I've ever seen Jared Goff do and it's that's a big part of the reason why by the way Cooper Cup is such a nightmare now in this offense because he's so instinctive uh especially against zone coverage and I feel like setting aside strategy and what they decide to do against his Bucks defense Stafford's ability to keep plays alive with his feet especially if they don't blitz um would be is just going to create opportunities for Cooper Cup down the field yeah I mean Cup's running seam routes now I don't. I don't think I ever saw that with Jared Goff. Uh, how Mina Kimes? How dare you say that Matthew Stafford is a sizable change over Jared Goff when all the EPA charts say what? that they're the same guy? I, I, okay, anti intellectual take. I wow. saw this on wow. the internet, but I feel like is it a? I felt like it was a straw man. I'm just gonna say it right now because I feel I saw like nerd nerd Twitter, not actual nerd Twitter. I guess film nerd Twitter, whatever. You and your guys. Talking about it, they were like, oh, I thought Jared Goff was, or Matt Stafford wasn't actually better than Jared Goff. And I was, when I saw that, I thought maybe I'm too immersed in like hot take television world where I don't know what the nerd discourse is anymore. But I never saw that take. Was that a take out in the universe that Matt Stafford was not an upgrade over Jared Goff? Yes. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It might have been like four people, and it might be a little <laughs> straw manny. But if it's a straw man, it's my straw man, damn it. And we're we're gonna, yeah. Analytics, analytics over analytics. Every football argument is it might be four people. <laughs> I feel like. Uh, well, I can tell you in my world where it's um, a bunch of people just screaming rings at each other. Uh, nobody ever thought that Terry Cop was not significantly worse than Matt. Because Jackson. they have eyes. Because they well, watch the game. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know about that part either. So <laughs> I would not. Uh, I think it's the truth is somewhere in between. Um, I'm excited for this game. I feel like this is going to be really high scoring. I'll just say it. But the, the question I asked at the beginning was not, is it going to be high scoring? And not, what should their approach be? It was, who you got? So who do you got? I want the Rams. I want the Rams just because of that weird, like, Tom Brady always drops one in September. And then they use that as, like, motivation thing. Um, the Rams look explosive. On the offensive side of the ball, I hope that they figure out some sort of way to get, you know, Van Jefferson and Deshaun Jackson on the field because I think that's probably the best way that they could take mm-hmm. advantage of Tampa. Um, it's a good game. Can we put it on uh, Sunday Night Football instead of uh, my Packers and the Niners? 
That'd be a you lot want, more fun for like, me. Trey Lance runs 500 yards on the Packers. Yeah, the let's just TV. let's just red zone that one. Let's just red zone that one. Um, we don't need national TV covering it. I lean the Rams too. I, I, I maybe I'm making too much of a big deal about this, but I actually think the Antonio Brown absence, if it happens, is huge in this game. I maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but I just think that could be a like to me like. Every Bucks game, I've gone to it being like, how do you handle this level of talent, right? Like, who are your personnel and who are you assigning? And just subtracting, I know that they're very deep at wide receiver, but subtracting him from the equation would make life a lot easier. All right. As always, we wrap with Dinks and Dunks. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Dinks and Dunks are part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. Justice, four questions from me, one from Lenny. Are you ready? I've never been more ready in my life. Okay. Um, we didn't. I have not talked about the Cardinals that much, and that is a failing on my part. So I'm going to use this paltry section to just bring up the Cardinals. Um, do you think the Cardinals are fraudulent? <laughs> Not I do. Kyler Murray, I think not Kyler play. Murray, the Cardinals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's why I was going to start it out. Kyler Murray is playing hero ball right now, and and they have the, uh, they're in the toughest division in the sport. Um, the Cardinals' problem right now is the only guys who can cover on their defense are all like five nine. Uh, that's not going to change down the stretch of the season. Question two: Chargers Chiefs. I feel like this was going to be the really sexy morning matchup, but now I want to watch Justin Fields. It's still a really good matchup. Um, do you think the Chargers have a chance? No. Um, I think the Cowboys game last week really exposed uh the Ooh. Chargers defensive line. You know, they still had yeah. you know, they still have a Bosa, but in the same vein of that Rams uh when we talked about that Rams defense, one defensive lineman does not make an entire defensive line. And if you can kind of pound the rock on them, and Kansas City's probably motivated to do that after they probably didn't do it enough against the Ravens. Um, I, I think that's a big enough mismatch where if you have Patrick Mahomes and that mismatch, you're probably winning that ball game. Do you think that it's interesting? So Brandon Staley, you know, brings his defense to Los Angeles, and look, it's not like they, they've been decent, right? It's not like they they won the first game in Dallas and put up a ton of points, but they did run the ball with ease, which is kind of what you would expect them to do against this particular defense. Do you think like that having a having your stud player up front be Joey Bosa instead of Aaron Donald? makes that scheme that approach generally with the lighter boxes harder to run yeah especially when you're playing a lot of games with those edge rushers too um joey bus is a guy that you just kind of want to pin your ears you know Um, right so yeah i definitely think you know if they could trade i mean if they if they could even have like if they traded joey bosa for even like a grady jarrett I wonder if that would like actually improve their defense just because of how it's structured. You know, they kind of need Take that it back. Take penetrating it back. interior guy. Take it back. What, Joey Jerry, Bo- Grady Jarrett slander? Right Dude, now? Joey Bosa is so good. He's he's great. I think I think they need a defensive tackle. They need someone in yeah. the inside who can get after it. I mean, they, play Bosa they, at three tech then. They just Do need it. someone who's not Jerry Tillery, frankly. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right. Question three. Falcons, Giants. LOL. That's gross. What a meeting of the minds. Did you see the uh the picture of Arthur Smith at the podium on Monday? Yeah, he's ter- gripping that thing both hands like white knuckles. It, it looks like he's very uncomfortable already. Oh, oh man, I think the Giants win. 
I think so, too. I mean, the Falcons are playing, like, four different tight ends slash fullbacks, and they spent a top five pick on one of them. Like, what are we doing? Daniel Jones, our nation's greatest option quarterback, might actually go nuclear in this game. I feel like this is, like, a perfect Daniel Jones defense. Oh, yeah. I mean, Atlanta doesn't have an edge defender. Uh, don't at me about like whatever advanced stat says that Dante Fowler is a good football player is, is, is wrong. Again, four guys on Twitter are saying that no one, no one thinks that no one, you guys got to get offline. All right. Question four. Um, Saints Patriots. You're going to get good Jameis or bad Jameis in this one. Definitely bad Jameis. Belichick's going to have him in a blunder. You don't think Belichick is going to take advantage of him? Uh, I saw Jameis roll out, throw across his body, and like the oh, safety could have fair caught it last week. It was rough. It was rough. Oh, God. Getting McCoy back will help. I'm assuming he comes back in this game. I just, um, I feel like the, the Saints were maybe the team I overreacted to the most week one. Yeah. I, it was a weird situation, man. Like the, the game flow, the way that it worked yes. was basically the Packers got like six snaps and then they were like, oh, we have to be in two minutes for the rest of the game. And you were yeah. playing two man to start. I mean, that was a very week one game in general in that like Rogers and LaFleur said post game, you know, they thought they were going to get like uh, they thought they were going to get like a lot of zone blitz stuff. Um, And then they ended up getting two man by the time that they could adjust to it, the game flow, the way that it worked, you couldn't run the ball. So they were just kind of out of it. I talked to AJ Dillon the day after the game and he said the same thing. So I think that's more of a game. You just kind of like toss it out. than as like a actual reflection of what the Mm -hmm. teams, what either the Packers or Saints will look like the rest of the season. All right. Last question as always comes from Lenny. He wants to know how, as a member of the media, how it feels that, Aaron Rodgers, your quarterback, hates you. He uh, he called us chicken s word. You can say uh, on. <laughs> can I? It's an ESPN Ch- property. I don't know. Ch- chicken shit trolls. Isn't that what he said? Or it's hard. I to I believe so. He said that on McAfee yesterday. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, it's like the Saban thing, right? Where like Saban calls it calls the media rat poison. I, I guess that's where rat we're at poison. with uh, Aaron so far. I couldn't tell if he was talking about the media or Jermichael Finley. Jermichael Finley, Greg Jennings. In Rodgers' defense, those two players really – like it's like they've got a bad signal for like an Aaron Rodgers bad game. <laughs> it's pretty it good. So I mean, any- Jermichael was like, hey, give Aaron two more games and start Jordan Love. Goodness, <laughs> Jermichael. Goodness. Uh, so you didn't answer the question. How does it feel that your quarterback hates you? <sighs> Just win a ring. If you win a ring, it's okay. Last dance. Oh. Derek Lawson called it fan fiction. You know, all the last dance stuff, I guess mm-hmm. – uh, We'll find out what it is in the coming weeks. I mean, San Francisco, please don't let, please, no Trey Lance. I don't even like that you put that in the universe, Mina. Honestly, it stresses me out.